Let us pray. Lord Jesus, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your, uh, your guidance through the Holy Spirit that we can leave this place with an eternal perspective. That we would not focus our lives on what does not last, but on what gives you pleasure. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I've had a little bit of a crazy summer, a lot of traveling. As some of you know from my last sermon, I took 14 high school kids and three other adults uh, to Honduras. We had an amazing trip. Uh, lives were transformed. Uh, every time I come back from that, I'm, I'm not tired. I'm energized because I see uh, the students that I brought changed and uh, understanding uh, of how to put their faith into action. And hopefully that will translate as they uh, as they live here on Hilton Head. I also uh, when I came back, uh, I was here for about a week and then I went to Brazil. My sister in law get married, got married. We had an amazing time. Uh, you'll hear a little more about that trip in the in the sermon, but it was wonderful. When I came back uh, here, my mom, who's had MS for 15 years, multiple sclerosis, um, was in the hospital. So she had had her third bout of pneumonia this year. I appreciate many of your prayers. Uh, uh, Greg let me go there last weekend to uh, visit her. Uh, so it was kind of an unplanned trip, but she's doing better. She's out of she was in a rehab uh, facility. She's back home and almost getting back to baseline, uh, but still struggling. So thank you for uh, praying for that. Uh, I have a question for you this morning, and I asked this to uh, many of the students I've worked with over the years. But what ultimately lasts in this life? You know, if we're honest, most of the pursuits, the things we go after don't really last. And maybe when we die one day, we might pass on some furniture or some uh, You know, possibly some clothes, but usually those are out of style or worn out. But I can tell you one thing that does not last is cell phones. A matter of fact, this was my first cell phone way back. Look at this. This is like straight from a James Bond film. And I thought it was pretty awesome, you know. And uh, But a few years later, it was pretty much obsolete because they had the new model with a little flip right there. You like that? You could talk more clearer, less drop calls. But soon this wore out. Then came the next one. Still, we have the antenna, a little more streamlined. You can see the duct tape in the back. It dropped it many times. Then I had this one. A friend of mine said it was like a piece of gum. It was so small. I thought it was great. I could never hear anybody on it, but uh, it fit nicely in my pocket. It wore out. As my wife will attest, I break things a lot. So I got this one that was supposed to be indestructible, like military grade. Greg's looking at some of these phones and thinking he might get an upgrade himself from uh, the flip phone he's using. But uh, anyway, soon that became obsolete, at least to me. Uh, Then I got this special, another military kind of grade phone or I see the cracked screen. Uh, I don't think it was military grade, but you could type messages. This is like right as text messages were starting to come out. But as you can see, all those are pretty much obsolete, and it's kind of weird that I have them. I know that. uh, I collect old cell phones. But if we're we're honest with ourselves, the things we so often go after or spend way too much time really don't last, and they're only temporary. A few years ago, on our way back from Orlando, we go there quite a bit with youth trips and uh, with going to Brazil, we fly out of Orlando. I stopped at a gas station. 
And there was a scene that reminded me of how often we go after the temporary. There was a man who looked like he had been working construction all day. He had the work boots on. His clothes were dirty. It was a hot summer day. And sitting next to him was his son, who appeared no older than 10. And in the guy's lap, there was a stack of cards of scratch off lottery tickets. And he had gone through about three quarters of them. And they weren't just the dollar ones. They were the five, the tens, the twenties. And he was scratching away and he looked proudly at his son and said, you know what? We've already won 20 bucks. Now, I'm no statistician or mathematician or financial planner, but that did not seem like a very sustainable way to grow the family income. But yet there he was scratching away. And it was a reminder of how often in our own lives we go after things that are as silly as that, that don't last, consumes way too much of our time. I think all of us can relate uh, to that. We get caught up in the latest fad, products that wear out, and by tomorrow they're obsolete. But the good news for us who are believers is that we can have a life that has a greater purpose and greater meaning, and it comes from following Christ. The Christian faith offers us our, our eternal relationship with the living God through faith in Christ. This relationship not only brings us eternal security, but it helps us to live courageously right here in this broken world that we find us in. And it gives us what I call eternal perspective. So as we see the temporary, we see him through Christ's eyes. The Apostle Paul grasped this concept of having an eternal perspective. He wrote in his letter to the Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die is to gain. He looked at everybody through that Jesus lens His life had purpose. It had meaning. And for him, life or death, it was life versus more life. Either way, he was a winner. We can find the same mindset this morning. We're going to unpack the gospel reading today. And we're going to look at a few keys that I feel can help us to have this eternal perspective as we go about our daily life. When we understand this, when we really live this out, it will change our focus which ultimately will change our actions and will change our lives. The first key to an eternal perspective begins with a relationship with God. This is what enters us into God's kingdom. Many of us from vacation Bible school to Sunday school to maybe when we older came to know Christ. And this verse that we saw up at stadiums, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his son That if we believe in him, we shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. This entrance into God's kingdom is not just a fire insurance that you when you die, you get. It brings us life and life to the fullest, as Jesus explains it throughout uh, the Gospels. In our Gospel reading today, Jesus states, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. When we trust God with our lives, when we enter into his salvation, the byproduct is a life that is not ruled by fear. Even though sometimes our next steps are unclear on where we should go. In our epistle reading today, the writer of Hebrews grasped this concept, wrote, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We are called to a trusting, faithful relationship with Christ. We can't always see our next steps, but we, are no, we know we are called to something much bigger than just a knowledge. We're called to action. 
A friend of mine said recently that a boat was never meant to stay in the harbor. And same with our lives as Christians. Believing and trusting God brings us out into the unknown, where we face risk, exposure, weakness, ridicule. We go to territories that are uncharted. It's scary sometimes, but the more we trust in God, our lives are not ruled by fear. On my trip to Brazil, uh, I was, we were, it was a few days before the wedding, and my father-in-law invited me to church. And I went to church, and it's always like, I hate volunteering for things there because I don't know the language very well, and it's, I feel like a lot of times I'm hearing just blah, 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 and then I hear my name once in a while, I'll throw a few words out, and it's, it's always a little bit stressful, you know, you gotta have, like, be very focused, and so my father-in-law said, hey, let's go get some candy for Isla, because we brought Isla to church too, and there was a man across the street who was a missionary at their church, and he kind of looks a little crazy, sort of a cross between John the Baptist and, I don't know, he sort of looks semi-homeless, great guy, but he has devoted the last 14 years of his life to going into two of the favelas that are near the church. And if you've been watching the Rio Olympics, the favelas is the Portuguese word for slums that are ruled by uh, these Robin Hood characters that are drug lords. It's basically like a CVS pharmacy where people come in, get their drugs, and then leave, and the police don't even go in there. So this guy has devoted his time. So I'm kind of listening to him and we're understanding a little bit because he's speaking Portuguese slow. And but what I didn't realize is I had accidentally volunteered to go and preach in the favela a few days later. So I get home to the house and my wife's like, you did what? Now, Veronica grew up. You did not go into the favelas. You're you stayed away from those places. They're not safe. The newspapers would show all the homicides that were in there. It's just not a place you'd go. But anyway, uh, we were going with the church and uh, we figured we'd be safe. And so we put this uh, trust in Christ in practice. We decided to not be ruled by fear and we went there and it was an incredible experience. We go there and they remove these logs and debris in the road because they don't want any police pulling in the neighborhood. The neighborhood is like a mouse maze, literally. They make it super complicated so they can get in and out quickly. And as we're going there, we go to this main area and uh, Jerry, the name of the guy, I'm not getting his name quite right, but He's the, the missionary there. He starts preaching to these guys right there in the middle of the square. And several of them on their knuckles, they have little like bags of like crack cocaine that they're selling. I thought they were open a sandwich. I'm so clueless. Veronica's picking up everything. And I thought they were part of the mission. But you know what? We did not feel scared because these little girls surrounded us the entire time. They were part of the church. They held our clothes, held our hands and escorted us right past those drug dealers at the square, right into the church. We got to preach, share the message. We were so filled with joy. Afterwards, this uh, couple asked us to pray for them. And uh, Veronica said later it was most likely one of the main drug dealers in the neighborhood. So we prayed for the guy and for his family and for that God could do something beautiful about the brokenness in this family uh, and what's going on. It was an incredible experience, but it shows us that even though I didn't volunteer for this, I accidentally went. God is calling us. Out of the harbor, even though it may seem scary, he's with us, he's protecting us so that we don't have to live lives of fear. That's what trusting him is about. Teddy Roosevelt, in a famous speech, I'm going to read you a little excerpt of it, exemplifies this. He wrote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong, how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. He goes on to say, 
If he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. We are not called to be spectator Christians who just know a lot about God and a lot of Bible verses. We're called to get out of the harbor, to put it into practice. That's what trusting God and putting our faith in him. That's the first thing that brings this eternal perspective, trusting him and not living a life of fear. The second key is when we understand that we need not fear, we realize that we have a job to do. It's to get involved in God's kingdom work and to go after what lasts, not to focus all our attention on these temporary things that are going to wear out and be replaced. And for Jesus, what is permanent is relationships, the possibility of bringing people into salvation, to bringing people into eternal life, to having a heart for people. When we understand this and do this, our lives are never the same. You see, Jesus advocates a life of holding very loosely onto these temporary things that we spend way too much time on and embracing these kingdom values of caring for others and sharing a salvation with other people. In our gospel reading today, Jesus states, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourself with purses that will not wear out an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Hold on loosely to the things that last. Hold on strongly to the things that are eternal. And yet so often we hold on to the temporary. John Rockefeller was asked once, how much money is enough money? He replied, just a little bit more. You see, the things we go after can never ultimately satisfy. The writer in Ecclesiastes writes, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. When you focus on the temporary, you're never satisfied. The more stuff, the more anxiety. But when you focus on eternity, you put all the things of this world in its proper place. You understand that our worldly wealth was designed for people. Later in Luke, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed to eternal dwellings. We need to use our resources, our talents, our gifts to care and love other people, to bring the salvation message to our neighbors, to the whole world. We need to go after what lasts and what's eternal. That's the second key to have an eternal perspective. I want to give a couple examples of what this looks like. And the first is what this does not look like, because it's such a striking example of going after the temporary. Years ago, I was working in a ministry called Young Life uh, Christian Outreach in Marion, Virginia, which is southwest Virginia, kind of close to Virginia Tech, Abingdon, Virginia. Some of you may be familiar with that area. In this particular town, it was a blue collar town and that we had uh, several factories and uh, a lot of those kids loved to deer hunt and fish. And, you know, they were they were kind of rednecks in the truest sense. Right. And then we had a medical community there and there was a lot of white collar kids as well. And fortunately, these kids got along pretty well. They they there wasn't a lot of uh, tension. They would sit together at the lunch tables and they just seemed to mesh well. There was one kid who was wealthier that I was working with. He didn't know the Lord and his dad was an insurance agent, very wealthy family. And I was trying to get him on this camp that I knew that could transform his life. I knew that I could bring him to trust in Christ and and help him to focus on what's eternal in his life. 
And he was about to go and he changed his mind and he said he needed to go to Winston-Salem with his mom because there was a special leather wallet he wanted to buy that cost $300. And uh, so he chose the $300 wallet, which to me about made as much sense as scratching off a huge pile of lottery tickets. But uh, he chose that and it was between that and something that could have been eternal. But I always remember uh, when that happened and I thought it was pretty profound. The second story is a much more positive, I hope you'll remember, because I feel like this applies to you and I. That favela we worked at in Brazil, there's a young couple named Adina and Adina and Andre. Andre grew up with uh, Veronica, and he married Adina. They're a wonderful couple in their 30s. They both work for Petrobras, the Brazilian oil company, and they've been trying for the last uh, seven years to have children, and they've been unsuccessful, and it's caused a lot of stress in their lives. It's, it's been a, it's, they've had a several miscarriages. They've been to a, a bunch of doctors. But in spite of that grief and that trouble they've been having, they continue to serve the Lord. They attend church late, regularly and are getting fed, uh, you know, inwardly. But they go outwardly into the uh, world. They don't leave their boat in the harbor. And it'd be easy to do, especially when you're going through a tough time. They volunteer every week and go into that favela. And those kids love them there. Andre plays the drums. He uh, teaches kids how to play the drums. His wife, uh, Adina, does the soundboard. They have an incredible ministry, volunteering their time to serve the Lord. I hope that all of us can, uh, can think of Adina and Andre and remember that we're called not to stay in the harbor with our faith, but to go outward with it, to go after what lasts and not focus on what is temporary. Finally, the last key uh, that I want to bring up is when you have a, an eternal perspective, you are prepared not only for this world, but for the next. Jesus states in our gospel reading, you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So what does this tell us? It tells us a couple things. Uh, one, when we put our trust in Christ, we have eternal security. When we follow him daily, we know where we're going. However, we have a job to do, and it's not just to sit back with that knowledge, but to put it into practice. So, so often our faith becomes very compartmentalized. It's almost like that dresser of drawers where we have one drawer is for our work life, our social life. And then for some of us, we have this really small drawer that's our church and Christian life that we don't open very often, but it's there and then, you know, we have all these different drawers and we, we kind of pull out the Christian life when we need to. But Jesus has something completely different in mind. You see, he is the dresser that supports all of the drawers. He needs to be a part of your work life, your social life, your personal life, your church life. When we look at uh, look at it that way and we realize that our life is not supported, will not hold up apart from that. It changes the way we see our faith. We don't compartmentalize. We don't have as much hypocrisy or duplicity in our lives because we realize that everything we do matters. We realize that we can't take a vacation from God. We can't uh, have the mentality where we just kind of fake it. You know, like the bumper sticker said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. It's it's not like that. It's an everyday walking with Christ no matter what we're called to do. We had a great example on our uh, time in Brazil. Veronica and I got away for a few days, went to a different part of Brazil, and 
we pulled, uh, came into the airport and the taxi driver came there and he had a Christian bumper sticker on the back of his car. And we had asked him if he would show us around to some different uh, beaches and areas where we were going to vacation. And he said he would. So he met us a day later. And I said, Veronica, you know, I saw a Bible in his trunk too. ask him about his faith. Well, it was a little bit of a mistake because when you're a pastor, sometimes you're like, all right, we're going to talk about church stuff. For the entire day, you talked about God and church stuff. And I was almost getting a little tired and Veronica was translating to me. But it, it was pretty beautiful. And we were at this area called San Antonio. Uh, it's a small beach community. And he said, hey, Steve, you're a pastor. Would you mind if we went into this house and prayed for this uh, little boy? I know his mom. She's going through a rough time. She's a single mom. And we went in there and the boy had a big tumor on his knee and had uh, some problems with his head, a a tumor there as well. So the taxi driver and I both took turns, myself in English and him in Portuguese, praying for this uh, little boy. I was so impressed by our taxi driver because he understood that his work life was not separated from his faith life. He used every opportunity he could to share his faith. Veronica and I were so touched by Andre and Adina, our taxi driver, these people who love God and use their, uh, their whole lives to share this message with other people. These three keys, trusting God so we don't have to live lives of fear, going after what lasts, being prepared and being ready. There's no vacation from following Christ. When we apply these in our lives, we'll have an eternal perspective. So what about you? Have you trusted God with your life? Or is it that small little drawer that you're not really opening up? I challenge you to put your trust in Christ today. When you leave here, your life will be different. You'll see life, all of life, with a whole new lens. You'll see life as Christ does. You'll go after not what is temporary, but what is eternal and what lasts. You'll care about people like you never have before. You'll be reminded that you don't, can't take a vacation from God. For us as a church body, we have a powerful witness in our community. Some of you have heard the verse that says, where two or three gather together in my name, there am I with them. That's not saying he's not with us when we're just by ourselves, but there's power in community, just like the early church grew so rapidly. There's power when we take this message and we actually go out in the world and don't compartmentalize our faith. I love the verse uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It kind of exemplifies everything I'm talking about here. Let me read it. It's actually from the, mes- the message version, which I believe uh, has a beautiful way of uh, saying Paul's words. So here's uh, translating Paul's words. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Bruce Main, the founder of Urban Promise in a book that I've been reading this summer, writes, Our spiritual lives must integrate real engagement in a real world, and it isn't always nice. 
our everyday lives as an offering to God, readily respond to what he's telling you to do. It doesn't have to be in a, to a favela. It could be the neighbor across the street that you know the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to talk to and share your faith with. And oftentimes it's just in the everyday lives, being involved in your community and with other people. In seminary, um, I was with a bunch of students uh, who all were like-minded. We were theology students. And we got involved at the University of British Columbia because we were associated with it in flag football. And uh, we, everybody thought they were playing the theology students, so they were going to walk over us, right? They were, we were like, I don't know, they had this view in Canada. First of all, no one goes to church hardly, so they looked at us like we had three heads. But we never lost in flag football. We were good, and we had, like, no mercy. Uh, we had a former college football uh, quarterback on our team. And, but we had fun. But the great thing about it was I remember playing the dental school in one of the business fraternities there, the grad school fraternity, and we had opportunities for them to see uh, people that were studying to be pastors in a whole different way. We had great conversations after the game. Sometimes we'd, uh, they'd join us as we hung out to grab something to eat after the game. But there it is, everyday life with other people. It's what brings up conversations. It's what brings opportunities for us to share our faith and our lives and to bring these kingdom values that last into the world. The Apostle Paul said at the end of his life, as he was writing to Timothy, the young pastor, he said, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That is the challenge for you all. That is something I'm challenged by every day, that we would finish the race, not sitting on the couch or on the sidelines, but looking at our neighbors, looking at the world, and sharing our lives and faith, getting out of the harbor, not living lives of fear, but trusting God so we can be faithful witnesses of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, it's no accident that any of us are here, not just today, but that you created us. You have a plan for everybody's life here, but that plan does not involve just us. It involves you and us following you so we can be the people that you've called us to be, sharing our lives, going after the eternal, and being faithful witnesses, having an eternal perspective so that we can bring meaning to all that's temporary in our world. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.